you would open your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat that you're sitting in or underneath the seat in front of you. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 1003. In a few moments, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and so I want to go ahead and Uh, Make sure that we're as ready as we possibly can uh, prior to that time. And so we are going to study God's word in just a moment. But before we do that, I just want to make sure that everyone uh, that is a follower of Christ. So you do not need to be a member of Charleston Baptist Church, but you do need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if that is you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, a child of God, you can celebrate the Lord's Supper with us today. And so if you are on campus and you uh, came in and for some reason you didn't get the elements of the Lord's Supper, uh, you have time to do that. And there's places up front, tables up front, also tables in the back where you can get those elements. And so I would encourage you uh, over the next few moments to go ahead and do that so we'll be ready when we get to that point. But we're going to study God's Word uh, in just a moment. But before we do, let us uh, pray together and ask the Lord to bless our time in His Word. Lord, as we come under Your amazing, mighty, truthful Word, uh, Lord, we ask that You would just show through Your Spirit, show us the power of Your Word, remind us as followers of Christ why the Word of the Lord is so important. And maybe, just maybe, those who are here today or joining with us online who have never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through the Word of God today, right now, they will profess and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And today, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Lord, we love you. We thank you in advance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Tonight, we're going to look at one verse. One verse. It's found in John 19, verse 28. Uh, But in order to understand really the weight of that one verse, uh, we're going to backtrack just a moment uh, and we're going to look at Matthew uh, chapter 27, Matthew 27. And so over the past several weeks uh, as a church family, we've been walking through uh, the seven sayings of Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. And tonight we're going to look at that sixth saying. And there's not one uh, part of the New Testament, meaning uh, Matthew, Luke, uh, Mark and John, the Gospels, the four Gospel accounts, that we get all seven sayings in, but we can piece them together. And we've been looking at those in order, and tonight is that sixth one. And so in order to understand more of the context, we're going to look at uh, Matthew's account of the Gospel in Matthew 27, uh, verses 45 through 46, and then leading into John chapter 19, uh, verse 28. In Matthew 27, uh, the scripture says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Ali, Ali, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then John 19, verse 28, where we're going to study tonight, the scripture says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. I thirst. And so we're going to look at that last phrase there, that saying there, that sixth saying, I thirst. And when we see that phrase, I thirst, we recognize that Jesus had a need. Jesus had a need. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to unpack that one verse tonight, but I want to read that verse again, and I want you to see the words on the screen, and I want you to slow down just enough So that you can soak in and I can soak in every single word that is mentioned. John 19, 28, again, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. 
Soak in every word, Jesus said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. So there's something about that phrase, that saying from the cross, when Jesus cries out, I thirst, that fulfills scripture, it fulfills prophecy. And we see that specifically in two places in the Old Testament. Some 1,000 years before the events there on the cross, uh, King David prophesies about that phrase, I thirst. And we see that in two places. One in Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, verse 14 and 15, uh, the scripture says, I, and it's a reference to Jesus, I am poured out like water. On the cross, the life of Jesus was literally being poured out of him. And it says, all my bones are out of joint. And so as Jesus hung on that cross, as those nails were thrust into his hands and to his feet, the joints of his body were being pressed beyond capacity. His body was literally growing longer, if you will. The scripture says that his heart is like wax. It is melted within his breast. As each breath, each agonizing breath was being breathed out by our Lord Jesus Christ. His lungs and his inner core would be filled with fluid. Fluid so heavy. Fluid that began to burn that kind of weight. And the scripture says, My strength is dried up like a posture, like a clay pot that has been heated in the fire. My body has been heated up. And then the scripture says, And my tongue sticks to my jaws. I thirst. The scripture says, You lay me in the dust of death. Jesus is on the verge of death. The second place that we see this prophecy, I thirst, being fulfilled from the Old Testament is in Psalm 69. And Psalm 69 is a, is a, is a psalm of David. It's a prayer. It's a, it's a cry of agony about uh, salvation and rescue and deliverance. And he says these words in verses 19 through 21, again, prophetically being fulfilled in Jesus Christ there on the cross. He says, you know my reproach. And my shame and my dishonor, my foes are all known to you. And that's really the crowd that's around Jesus, the mocking crowd. Verse 20, reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. He says, I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And in just a moment, we're going to look at that exact place in the Gospel of Mark. But do you hear the cry of David pleading for God to show mercy, pleading for God to show compassion and rescue? God, will you meet my need? Will you satisfy my thirst? The very words that were spoken by David in a far greater way were experienced by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. Soak in every word. John 19, 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished. After what was finished? Remember what Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46 told us. The verses that we read at the very, very beginning. From the hours of 12 p.m. and 3 p.m., during the brightest time of the day, the hottest time of the day, the scripture says that there was complete darkness over the land. Over the earth. God himself, by his sovereign power, chose to do what? He chose to cut out all the lights. 
darkness so great that it could actually be felt. And oh, did our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ feel the weight of that darkness. Up until that point, we know that Jesus felt the pain of agony. He felt the the emotional pain that was expressed to him, the mocking crowds. You say you are the Son of God? You say that you can save yourself? Then show us that you can do so. But now, during these three hours, from the time of 12 p.m., noon to 3 p.m., in the greatest darkness of all of human history, Jesus Christ experienced spiritual and relational pain, spiritual and relational agony. Why? For the first time and the last time, Jesus was separated from his Father. Fellowship had been broken. We can't fully explain how is it that God can forsake God. We don't know, but we do know that it happened. And it was during that break in fellowship between Jesus and the Father that the full wrath of God because of sin was fully exhausted on Jesus Christ. God brought the full horrors of hell onto his son, his one and only son. And at the end of that, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know that that question, the way that it is worded, It's not a question of doubt. It's not a question of unbelief. Jesus isn't looking back at those events and saying, Why me? Why me? No, the way that the the original language is written. It's not a question of doubt. Jesus is explaining in that question of why, God, would you show them? God, would you show them the purpose of why I am suffering? Show them the purpose. Show them why I took their place on the cross. Show them why I experienced the full horrors of hell. I did it for everyone who would surrender their life to me. I did it for them. And it's after this, after this separation and fellowship and the horrors of hell, apart from any of the blessings of God in that moment, that Jesus says those words, I thirst. I thirst. This is more than some ordinary thirst, right? This was a thirst so great that it could only be satisfied by the Father himself and Jesus tells us a parable that helps illustrate this. A parable is a, is a story that, that may have uh, facts or, or true experience there, but really the story tells us that parable toward, to, points us to a spiritual truth, a deep truth. And so we get this picture in Luke chapter 16. In Luke 16, uh, we're introduced to two people. We're introduced to a rich man and Lazarus. The rich man is all about himself. He's self-absorbed. He's doing life his own way, right? He's, he, he thinks that ultimate satisfaction is found in what he can do. But then you have Lazarus. Lazarus is the poor man, if you will, who has nothing but he has the Lord, right? And here they both die. And what happens is the rich man goes to a place of torment, hell, and Lazarus goes to heaven. And here we get this picture where the, the rich man, thinking that all that it needed for life, abundant life, eternal life, the comfort that he needed was going to be felt and met in the things that he could do. And yet the scripture says that he, he is in a place of torment. He's in a place of hell. And he, he has the ability to, li- to glimpse up into heaven. And he sees Lazarus, poor Lazarus, having everything that he could ever desire. And more. And the scripture says what? The scripture says that the rich man had a request. And what was that request? Luke 16, 24. 
And he, the rich man, called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. You know, oftentimes we see the torments of hell just being fire and darkness and gnashing of teeth. But here we see it as what? We see it as thirst. The lake of fire is unable to quench the thirst of comfort, the thirst of relief, the thirst of satisfaction. That's what the rich man needed. And because he rejected Jesus on earth, his request in hell would always be denied, right? Jesus experienced the horrors of that hell, the horrors of that mockery, so that you and I would not experience it. We see in the cross that Jesus Christ, with great finality, gives us the ultimate satisfaction that we need. And how does Jesus do this? He did it through the cross. At the very beginning of the crucifixion, we are given a pretty awesome detail in the Gospel of Mark. Mark 15, 23, the scripture says, And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. According to Jewish tradition, when the crucifixion period started, when somebody was being uh, nailed to the cross, there was a group of women that would offer this particular wine with myrrh in order to deaden the pain. Because there's excruciating pain that is coming. And so this would be like a sedative that would be given. But the scripture says that Jesus denied that substance. In other words, he was experiencing the full wrath of God and nothing was deadening any of his senses at all. The just and unrelenting wrath of God fully put on him in that three-hour period. And after this... The scripture says in Mark 15, verses 35 through 36, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. Remember, and Jesus says, Ali, Ali, lama sabachthani. And they were confused. Is he crying out to Elijah? And in verse 36, the scripture says, And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And so where the first drink that was offered was a drink to deaden the pain, the second drink that was offered was a, was a drink that was offered in mockery. Mockery. The drink of sour wine would have been used in, not to dull his senses, but it would be so sour that it would somehow prolong Jesus' consciousness on the cross. Therefore, it would prolong the suffering that he would experience. Soak up every word. The scripture says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Again, Jesus experienced the horrors of hell, the mockery of the crowd, so that you and I one day would not. And if Jesus wasn't fully obedient to the Father, if Jesus didn't fully quench his thirst, his need for relief and satisfaction in what only the Lord, his Father, could do, you and I would spend eternity thirsting for something that would never, ever be quenched. But Jesus, do you hear the word Jesus? But Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, both 100% God and 100% man, humbled himself to the Father in perfect obedience in the way that he lived and the way that he died. Philippians 2 says it like this, who, speaking of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
In other words, even though Jesus is God and never stopped being God, he became a man. He didn't self-promote himself. He became a man. Verse 7, but instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so though Jesus never, ever stopped being God, he did take on the frailty of man. He became a servant, even to the point of death. Jesus chose to humble himself under the Father's love and the Father's will, and Jesus' deepest need and his deepest satisfaction was found where? In his Father. That cry of, I thirst, was a cry to him. So how do we apply that phrase, I thirst, to our lives today? One, examine your thirst. Examine your thirst. The question isn't, do we thirst? The question is, where do we go with that thirst? Like Jesus, we suffer physical pain. We suffer emotional pain. We suffer relational pain. We suffer spiritual pain. Though it's not in any comparison to Jesus, we know that that pain, that agony, regardless of what it is, it is real, it is raw, it's in our face, it's in our heart all the time. So it doesn't matter what we thirst for. It matters where we go with that thirst. Do we go to the Lord or do we go to the things of the world? In other words, when there is emptiness in the very deepest parts of your soul, where do you go to quench that thirst? Where do you go when the deepest part of your soul cries out, I thirst, I thirst, I thirst, and you know we have it. Now, we hide behind a lot of different things. But you pull back those layers. There's a thirst in every soul. The question is, where do you go? When the Lord speaks to the prophet Jeremiah, he is beginning to uncover those layers of where his people go to quench that thirst. In Jeremiah 12, or chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, the scripture says this, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that could hold no water. So here we see God's people are forsaking God. They're turning their backs on God. They're putting idols in His place. And God says, you have committed two evils. You have committed two sins. One, you turned from me, the only one who can satisfy you. Secondly, you turned not only from me, but you tried to do things on your own. You set up these idols to try to satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. These two evils that God's people were committing back then are the same two evils that you and I can find ourselves in today. Every single one of us has the potential of wandering from the very one who can quench the very thirst that we have. And we begin to dig and dig and dig and dig into the things of this world. And here's what we find. It never, ever satisfies. The reason why the cisterns can't hold water is because they were never designed to in the first place. Why? They're broken from the get-go. They were always broken. And because those cisterns are always broken, the things of this world, there's, there's thirst, right? There's thirst every single time. 
What distracts you? So when we talk about those broken cisterns, this is the question. What distracts you from being satisfied in Christ and Christ alone? What is it that distracts you? Because there's distractions everywhere. I believe that passage there in Jeremiah chapter 2 verses 12 through 13 is really a mirror. It's a passage that brings a mirror to our heart. It is calling the very people of God to be honest about what it is that you're truly trying to find satisfaction in. It doesn't matter how good it is. It's not God. Oh, that the people of God would weep. That we would truly confess. That we would truly repent. And we would truly find our satisfaction in Him and Him alone. He is the fountain of living water. He knows what our souls thirst for and He knows how to meet that need. So examine your thirst today. Secondly, trust Jesus to satisfy your thirst. Trust Jesus to satisfy your thirst. You know, the concept of water is used all throughout uh, the Gospel of John. In John chapter 2, Jesus takes water and he turns it into wine. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In John chapter 5, the pool of Bethesda, where the blind and the lame and the paralyzed go for healing. They're seeking healing from this world. And Jesus, with great contrast, says, The only healing that you will ever find is found in me. In John 6, Jesus is Lord over the water, right? He walks over the water. In John 9, Jesus uses his, the saliva in his mouth. He creates mud. He puts it on the a man's eyes who was born, uh, born blind and gives sight to the blind man. In John chapter 13, Jesus takes a bowl, a basin, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Water is used symbolically all throughout John's gospel to show us that our greatest need is spiritual, and that spiritual need can only be found in him. The cross reminds us that Jesus is not only willing, but he's able to meet our deepest need. Think about John chapter 4. The Samaritan woman at the well. I love how it starts in the first part of chapter 4. Jesus says, I I have to go. I have to go to Samaria. Why? Because there is a woman at the well who is trying to draw water from the well. She's alone. She's broken. She's hurting. She's seeking. She's thirsty. She has a need. Jesus says, "I I can meet that need. And the scripture says in John 4, verses 13 through 14, the scripture says, Jesus said to her, the Samaritan woman who was a half-breed, not even part of the, the normal social, she's all by herself. At the heat of the day, the busiest part of the day, she's by herself. And Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says to the woman at the well, I will give you living water that will never run out. It will never, ever run out. It will always satisfy the deepest places in your soul. A few chapters later, in John chapter 7, Jesus isn't addressing the, the irreligious crowd, the Samaritan woman. He's actually addressing the religious people. The Jewish people were celebrating uh, the festival uh, of booths or the feast of booths. This would have been a celebration that would have lasted uh, a week. Uh, it would be a time where they would celebrate God's provision uh, while they were in the wilderness. Uh, and one of the ways that they would celebrate 
uh, God's provision in the wilderness had to do with the fact that God provided what? God provided water from the rock. And so what would happen on the very last day of the feast, the very last day of the festival, which was actually the most important day within that celebration, uh, the priest would take a cistern of water and they would walk around the altar seven times showing their tremendous thanks and gratitude for what God had done in the wilderness. And it's at that moment that we hear these words in John 7. On the last day, the most important day when the priests are walking around the altar with the water, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and with a crying out loud, right? He cried out, and what does he say? If anyone... Man, I love it, don't you? Jesus is an anyone kind of guy. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So that message is not just for the Samaritan woman. It is for the religious person as well. You think all your stuff that you're doing, you, you think that's going to quench your thirst. No, 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 no. I am the one who will quench your thirst. God's word over and over again is inviting us to trust Jesus to satisfy our thirst. Even the very last invitation in the Bible is found actually in the very last chapter of the Bible. In Revelation 22, and the scripture says this in verse 17, the spirit and the bride, the body of Christ, the church, say, come, let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. And here is John, the apostle John, the same one who wrote John chapter 19, that eyewitness at the cross. John here is giving us a glimpse of what eternity is going to look like with Jesus. For the bride of Christ... There's the king of heaven. And the king of heaven is not just inviting some visitor, some guest over for a meal. No, the king of heaven is asking us and and inviting us into eternity with him to know that every moment of the day, we have a seat at his table. Come, all those who thirst, come and receive me. You see, God is gracious to those who thirst for him. All throughout scripture, God is giving an invitation to come to him. And the scripture says, everyone is invited. And to those who receive it, to those who receive it, you will have the fountain of living water. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for which is not bread, and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, here that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So as we come to our time of response, the question is, do you truly thirst for Jesus tonight? Right now, with all the things that are happening in your life, as you've been walking through physical agony, emotional pain, relational pain, spiritual pain, are you truly thirsting for Jesus? Maybe tonight, as we've studied God's word, 
the Holy Spirit has made you sensitive to an area of your life where you're really not thirsting for Him the way that you should be. Maybe you've been spending so much time building those cisterns that were never meant to carry any water for you. And tonight, the Lord has convicted you of that. I would encourage you, confess. Confess. Be honest with the Lord. And through that confession, ask and plead with the Lord through His Spirit and through His Word to give you strength to repent of that, to turn away from it and turn to the Lord. And by the gracious God, as we sit under His Word, the beauty of the gospel and are reminded of the great sacrifice on the cross that we will trust that there would be a renewed trust in the beauty and the power of the gospel. I'm going to pray for us and then our worship team is going to lead us in a time of response.